Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, we're going to try something a little new on the bio. Darren's going to be a guinea pig on this one. He's a cool sport with this. We, I've got what I'm calling Darren's chat GPT bio. So here it is. Darren Bearcloth, widely known as The Claw, is a renowned professional mountain biker hailing from Parksville, British Columbia, Canada. He has become an icon in the world of free ride mountain biking, pushing the boundaries of what is possible on two wheels. Darren's fearless riding style and innovative approach to the sport has earned him a prominent position among the elite riders in the industry. He has competed in numerous international competitions, including Red Bull Rampage, where he has consistently showcased his exceptional skills on some of the most challenging terrain. Beyond his success in competitions, Darren is also an avid explorer and adventurer. He has traveled to remote corners of the globe, seeking out untamed landscapes and uncharted riding opportunities. His adventures have been featured in documentaries and films, inspiring countless of riders to pursue their own mountain biking dreams. How's that sound, Darren? That's that sounds pretty wild. Pretty wild that a computer <laughs> built that. Right. Yeah. I, I love the adjective the adjectives. It, it makes me just really illuminates everything. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy world we're living in. Wild. Wild. Well, welcome to the show, brother. I can't wait to jump into, you know, just your story and your work and, and the different chapters in your life. It's uh uh it's a real honor to have you here. And um I'm just going to flow with you. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump into some of what uh, our good old friends, uh, the AI world has, has mentioned in, in your story and whatnot. But before we get into any like the titles and stuff that, that you've been doing for, for your entire life, essentially, first question is just like, who are you outside of the titles? Who's Darren? Who am I? Well, um, my name is Darren. I like to ride a bike, obviously. Um, I live in the outdoors. Uh, outdoors is not only my occupation, but it's also my passion. Um, mm. Anything that's got a bit of adrenaline and outdoors, I'm addicted to. So uh, definitely you could say I'm an adrenaline junkie. And uh, yeah, I reside on Vancouver Island. Uh, I have a six-year-old daughter. Uh, and yeah, I think that's the nutshell. Me, I guess. I like it. I like it. Has um has that evolved over time? Like you know, I always find a question like who are you, you know, today is, you know, can be different from if I would ask you that, you know, 10 15 years ago. Maybe obviously some similar characteristics, but what do you think for you has kind of evolved or is maybe new in that in the way that you're describing yourself? Um yeah, as you get a little older, especially like you know, when you go from your teens into your 20s, you know, you change up a ton. And then when you go from your 20s into your 30s, you know, usually your 30s, most people that have, you know, children throughout that yeah. time, so that definitely changes you a bunch. But in terms of like who I am, in terms of what excites me and what really drives me and gets me out of bed every day, I'm pretty similar. Like, you know, I've always yeah. been addicted to the outdoors and addicted to adrenaline and and some of my desires are a little bit different. Like when I was in my 20s, I just wanted to send it and hit the dirt day, day after day. And obviously now I'm, I'm going to be 42 this year. I don't really enjoy hitting the deck as much as I used to. 
Fair. You know, see, I actually try to not hit the deck as much as possible. So that that's definitely. But overall, I'm uh, I'm yeah, I'm pretty much the same guy. I think. Where do you remember when you're younger, like? one of those first moments where you 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 became obsessed with the adrenaline rush like wh- where did that come from for you yeah i was a bit of a uh, a shithead when i was a a young kid <laughs> and i had a lot of energy that needed to be um channeled into something and and sports was definitely a good outlet for me you know i would have been in all i was in all sorts of trouble but i would have been in a lot more trouble if i didn't have that outlet of having my sports and in terms of like adrenaline and, you know, conquering fears and stuff like that, that definitely started at a young age. You know, I, I knew I was a little bit different. Um, you know, when all my friends around me weren't interested in doing the things that I was interested in, you know, cause I would, I would progress a lot faster and, um, you know, where my friends were like, no, I want to ride these size of jumps. And I was like, well, let's make it bigger. Why not? <laughs> yeah. You know? It was just normal for you, right? Or it just felt intuitive? Yeah, well, it was like, yeah. why wouldn't we make it bigger? This this jump's boring now. We hit it a hundred times at the same size. Let's, let's make some bigger ones. Yeah, yeah. Help paint the picture, because this is, I mean, this might be a little bit of a different interview uh, for you. I mean, like I said, when we first connected, I mean, and, and long-time listeners of the show know my passion for mountain bike, my, mountain biking just as a, I, you would say, like probably a regular rider. Um, but it's not a mountain biking podcast. So, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to jump in every now and then just to, to help paint the picture of what it is that you do and where you're coming from. Um, because we've had a bunch of different top-level athletes and, and business professionals and writers and whatnot. You, most of them are at the, at the top of their game. This is the first time I've ever had anyone uh, on the show from the mountain biking community. So, the, I guess the question I have for you is, when... When you're on a bike and you're in that flow state and you're ripping down the side of a massive mountain, like what does that feel like for you? You know, like for most people to really find like 100% truly find that flow state, it's a really rare thing. And not everyone actually gets to that point. And for a professional athlete in any type of sport or profession, whether he's golfing or basketball or race car driving, um, you know, a good example would be Sylvester Stallone's movie. I think it was called Driven. And Mm. he would, in his character, he would hum when he gets into his flow state. And that type of a mentality is only achieved when years of dedicating your time, skill, mind, and body all into one clicks to where your confidence as it is at an all-time high, your muscle memory just is intuitive and everything is just clicking like it should. And that is such a surreal feeling, going out into your craft and just it is easy, mm. not really stressed. You like your, your, your heart rate's decently high. You're focused. There's a bit of fear in there. If there's no fear, you're doing something a little wrong or you're a little yeah. bit loopy. 
Yeah, fear is healthy fear. Absolutely. <laughs> but for the most part, you're not like, like losing sleep at night. You're just, yeah. you're there. You're confident and you're like, you know what you need to do. And you're just in this like euphoric state of awesomeness. And I totally urge anybody to try to get that good at a sport to where you can find your flow state because it is an absolute crack-like addiction that it's, you know, I haven't had it in, in quite some time because, you know, I've had so many injuries and whatnot. So it's, it's been a while since I've been there and, and it, I got to say it's something special. Yeah, you miss it. Well, I was going to ask you if there was any outside of being on a bike, like, is there any other ways that you've tapped into, you know, even a, even a fragment of those flow states? Yeah. Um, but never in the way of biking because, you know, biking, I've dedicated my life to biking and, yeah. you know, it's 28, 30 years of, you know, honing that craft and, you know, I'm, I'm good at other sports, but, um, I haven't dedicated as much time to any of those sure. sports. Like, I would love to be that good on a surfboard. Um, but it's just, you know, I didn't have the time, but you know, I, I'm, I'm good on a snowboard and I have had that as, as well there, but you know, it's, it's just something when you, when you dedicate so much time to it and you get to that skill level where it's like, you're just in it and you're pushing the envelope of the sport itself. And you are at a, an actual like place of calmness in your, in your mind, in your heart. And you're, you're still pushing the sport and, and it comes easy to you. It's, it's a very euphoric state. Yeah. Well, that leads really well into, uh, I guess you could just say a topic that I want to, to touch on with you because you're, you know, as as our friends over at Chat GPT mentioned, you know, pioneering uh, elements of the sport, especially free ride, kind of big mountain uh, mountain biking. And you know, wh why don't we just paint the picture for people listening? Like, what what is that? You know, what is because you know, for those who who may not be familiar or not watching Rampage or have seen you in some of of your films, you know, they might think you're on a mountain biking, you know, ripping down a trail at, at quick speeds. Which, uh, which you do do, but I mean, this is a whole other level of, uh, you know, riding, let's just say. Yeah. So if you want, I can kind of elaborate on that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. please. Um, yeah. So if anyone doesn't know the sport of free riding and mountain biking, mountain biking split up into lots of different disciplines. You know, you have road riding, you have cross country racing, you have downhill racing, you have dirt jumping, you have free ride. And, you know, what I'm most known for is pushing the limits of big mountain riding, which is basically searching around the globe for desert like landscapes that have very tall mountains and then finding lines down those mountains and then incorporating tricks off cliffs and ledges and jumps while descending those multiple thousand foot descents. I got to. Well, well said. I'm laughing just because it's like, you know, because it's not, you know, it's not hard enough just to descend down a lot of these mountains where people haven't even touched foot. You know, you're going to throw in a spin or you're going to flip it. And it's, uh, it's really like any, I, I guess you could categorize it like, you know, any kind of sport where you're, you're looking and watching and studying the, the like the best of the best or elite athletes, you're, you're often left thinking like, 
what are they thinking? Like, how how do they do this? Right? It's just a just a, a wild, wild experience. Do you remember when, like, when big mountain riding for you clicked? Like, when it was like, I need to be doing this. Yep, I do actually. Um, you know, so my career when I was younger, I rode mountain bikes and BMX as well, and yeah. I couldn't afford to keep a mountain bike or even buy a high-end mountain bike. So all the only tool I had at my disposal was a BMX. So I did that for quite a few years. But then at the same time, the mountain bikes weren't designed to take the kind of abuse that I wanted to throw at it. So I kind of went away from mountain biking. And then in my later years, after I toured around through BMX, did like a bunch of dirt jump circuits through the States, um, I got back to mountain bikes because the technology has completely changed. Like the full suspension bikes were killer. It was disc brakes. So like just the bikes were starting to work really well and they were able to withstand some serious abuse. And that's how I kind of fell back into it because I saw what guys were doing out in the mountains and like, and to me, I was like, that's exactly what I've been dreaming about my entire life is riding down mountains. And within my BMX career, I was always trying to make bigger and bigger jumps, but you know, the bikes just couldn't handle what I wanted to do. Like the, the wheels were small, there was no yeah. suspension, they had, you know, crappy brakes. So the, the mountain bikes, once I started seeing that, I was like, oh yeah, that's where I want to be. And then I, I got into the sport and I was at instantly addicted you know i filmed for cranked five was my first breakout movie in, in the mountain bike scene and tyler Classen um was a guy that kind of showed me the ropes on doing big cliff drops and and then after that i went to rampage and kind of weaseled my way in and 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 after that first contest i was like i had zero doubt that this is where i needed to be in my life this that, I, I was wow. like this is my home right here yeah. like this is what i want to do with my life yeah, love it. But that, was that the year that you placed third that that year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like Rampage put that style of riding, at least for people even outside of the sport, kind of on the map. Like, because now you're, you know, it's, it's right? It did and it still is. Yeah. Now you're judging in there. Yeah, I did judge last other. year. Debatable if I'm going to judge this year just because there's this. There's so much controversy. It's it's pretty stressful. Well, it was int- I just in preparing for the conversation, I, I I can't remember which interview I was listening to, but it was you were talking about that. Like, just it, it's got to be challenging, you know, coming in to judge those kind of events when you've ridden them yourself, and in a way, like you're you're essentially designing and building your lines based on things that you know you can do and where you can push the envelope, and and we're all unique humans, so another rider might like do something that you're like, yeah, that's a little bit, that's easy for me, but hard for you kind of thing. So it's a, then you have to kind of step back and write and, and basically judge without that bias. Like that's gotta be tough to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the biggest challenge for me was, is just everyone's opinion. And then that opinion being casted upon yourself and judging yourself as a person, because you gave that person a certain score and that person being your friend and they're pissed your off. Friends, yeah. You're going to have beers. They're, they're racking your balls. They're like, come on, man. Why did you freaking give me that such a shitty score? They're like, you could have did better, man. <laughs> Don't suck. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but yeah, I could see that being uh, challenging. Uh, 
Darren, this this show is uh, very much uh, linked to just like powerful questions. And there was one one like reflective questions that typically start, you know, projects or or uh, allow for big life pivots and things like that. And there was a question in where the trail ends that I, I wanted to ask you about. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. I think it sums up a lot of what you do. And it's how do you find something that most people have not looked at? I mean, where do you even start with a question like that? Google Earth. Google Earth. Yes. I elaborate. I, I know where you're going with this, but go for it. Like you, even years ago, I've looked and found lines. Like for instance, when we did this movie, North of Nightfall, where we went to like the Arctic Circle, there was mm. lines where I found on the computer that I'm like, oh, I bet this, this, this goes. And I went there and I wrote it. Yeah, I was like blown away. Like, how the hell did I find a line in the Arctic Circle for my laptop that I'm staring into right now? And I traveled zillions of miles and now I'm riding it. It's yeah. pretty bonkers. It's pretty wild. Why do you, how did that whole project come to be? North of Nightfall or where the trail ends? Yeah. North of Nightfall. Because uh, I feel like it's a nice link with, I mean, obviously fill in the, the, the details of the gap, but feels like a nice link with what I can see from you around just adventure and also educating people about, you know, culture and landscapes and stuff like that. But then obviously there's the, the mountain biking component to it. Yeah. Like the, the evolution of, you know, adventure, um, free ride and searching for the biggest gnarliest lines on the planet never really ends, you know, and, and I'm, I'm still going to pursue and other guys are pursuing it too. And, you know, for us, it was a, a natural evolution to just to keep looking, keep searching. And, you know, we, we did where the trail ends and, and you're always trying to like one up your last film and you're like, okay, what can we do now? What would be better? And, you know, we were searching for a lot of places around the planet. And one of the original places that I really wanted to go was a little island called Kasatoshi. And okay. it was in the uh, Aleutian Islands, like way like in between Alaska and Russia and it had been a volcano that erupted and all the ash that went into the ocean contributed to a large amount of phytoplankton which trickled down through the whole um, marine ecosystem that wow. translated into like a really huge run of salmon this one year and okay. I wanted to tie that story into like yeah. okay this is why all these ocean conditions for the last four years were amazing and all the sea life flourished from it. And now we're going to ride this like little island in the middle of nowhere that had insane terrain to ride. But then we found out that it was a, you know, a marine park that it was like a no footprint zone. Oh, like yeah. not even like you can't ride bikes there. It's like you cannot set foot on the island like yeah. it is actual nature preserve like don't go there sort of thing so yeah so after that we're like okay well that's a bust so let's see where else we can we can go and try to uh ride our bikes down some big mountains and then we uh it, it, it's then you went over yeah north pole because that's a you know that's the first place you'd think about for riding bikes well, like, it's you, you literally you're looking for color <laughs> on the map, you know, and you, and you go into little zones and you're like, okay, that looks like black, that's rock. And then you're like, Ooh, I can see some like reds and some light browns and some grays mix in. And then, and then, uh, 
you know, you start to learn over the years, like the colors and what that really relates to. And then, and then you like, if you see something, then you can also dig in and and see if anyone's got pictures of the area. So you can actually have a picture from the, you know, perspective of land. And then you're like, put two and two together. And you're like, yes, that looks like rideable dirt. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. So, and when you land there, because for that one, you went, you went a year before, right? Yeah. I think to scout it out. Mm -hmm. scoped it out which is i mean there's some funny stories in there too i mean you're basically digging out the plane (laughs) the pilots like what the hell this is a first and all my years fly planes i mean i've never had it stuck in the environment so just goes to show you know kind of what kind of terrain you're operating in um but when you go on those trips like what are what are you looking for well you're looking for size of lines um something that's going to really translate well on the film and, you know, something that people are going to look at and be like, wow, that looks insane to ride. Because if it looks insane, it's twice as crazy for us to actually ride. Yeah. Because, you know, the film never really shows its its true gnar factor. So for us, it's like, you know, pushing our, our, our riding, the envelope of the terrain. And if we can achieve those two things, then, you know, it translates to something that's going to look great on film okay so if we're excited about the line that usually means that it's gonna look good gotcha and then like what is that what's the process like for so you have an idea you you bring some people together have like a shared vision i mean what at what point at what point do you then go to i'm assuming you're some of your sponsors or some of the production houses like like what does that look like to get it to the point of okay i added an idea and now we're actually going to put a budget towards and, and start filming. Yeah, well, like for us in, in this industry, we call them a deck. A deck is basically like a, a proposal for an idea. So you want to build a deck and then you pitch it. You pitch it to whoever yeah. will listen. And in these cases, a lot of my big films, um, you know, Red Bull's been the one to have the appetite for this type of adventure and content to own to yeah. help promote their products, which is you know, you know, kudos to that company. And, you know, I'm pretty sure it's, it's no stranger to most people that, you know, Red Bull is the formidable force behind a lot of these really cool projects and events. And yeah, the the stuff that they do is just, it's, it's awesome. It it is pretty incredible. Like that, I I think when, when we first met, I had mentioned, well, that was in my email. I was essentially watching Red Bull TV with uh, my son who's seven that you see you're older than your daughter. And the thing that has been so awesome as a dad, you know, watching that stuff, and not just mountain biking, really anything that's on there, is it, it just shows, I think it shows kids what's possible, right? Even if they don't go and do that, but they still know it's 
you know, like it is possible to do that. And uh, like, I, this is my own experiment I'm running, but I mean, just the mental, you know, performance thing and like confidence that like you can do that. It's got to be, it's got to be a good thing for, for anyone really watching. Right. Yeah. For us, we kind of, you forget what it's like in a lot of ways to be, I guess, normal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because that is normal. That is your normal, for sure. You know what I mean? Because like I've been doing this, like I'm I'm 42 this year and I've been traveling the globe riding my bike f- since I was 20. So I'm going on like yeah. 20 some odd years of at a high level traveling around. So it it that this seems normal to me. And and for someone, and, and I, I get taken back sometimes when a friend goes, hey, you know, I want to do, you know, a backpack trip to Peru, like, and they start asking me questions and I'm just nonchalantly like, oh, you just did this, 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 and this. And they're like, uh, what, what do you mean? Looking at me like a deer in headlights. And I'm like, well, don't you know that you just do this, this, and this? And they're like, no, I've never done this stuff before. And I don't yeah. have the confidence to just jump on a plane and, and get out of the plane and not have a hotel and a taxi and all these things lined up. And, you know, all those little things that I've got the confidence over the years of the constant travel, like... I forget that people never had that. You know, there is some people that are like, you know, dedicated travelers and they've been doing it well. But like, yeah, you, you forget all those little things after so many years of doing it in and out day to day. Yeah. Well, you're just riding the wave, right? Absolutely. And like you're, 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 it's like you're, you're comfortable in the uncertainty. <laughs> what, what'd you say? Yeah. I don't want to get off the wave. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, what is it like? What in your life are you doing that you would say is, outside of your, your comfort zone and, and not your, your regular normal? Um, well, I guess, you know, starting a bike brand, that's yeah. a big challenge for me. Cause you know, you know, the business side of myself, um, that's not my strong point. Um, my strong point is going out, riding my bike, uh, creating amazing terrain, um, creating projects, um, building bike parks, things like that. But the actual like sitting down at a computer, building out spreadsheets, ooh, everyone yeah. loves spreadsheets. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's where that's where I lack. So that's where my, you know, you know, an office person will will sit there and talk to me the same way I will talk to, to a regular person about travel. And they're like, well, don't, you know, just have like command keys, do this, this. And I'm like, no, dude, I ride a bike. So it's, it, yeah. it's a different challenge for me, right? Where other people have been yeah. in office for all these years. And, and it's like, you know, you, you can do it with your eyes closed where I'm like stabbing away, like trying to figure <laughs> it out, like how to build this spreadsheet with freaking custom formulas and whatnot. So it's, yeah. it, that's a challenge and, and it's, it's good. It's, evolution and uh you know i'm not afraid to challenge myself and take on something new and and scary and and uh yeah wish me luck <laughs> uh, well for sure i'm extending all the good vibes your way i mean just on in general and starting new projects whether it's something like you know building a bike bike brand or or taking something on again outside of your regular comfort zone how do you like you personally like what's how do you start like what are some of the questions like to just get going um you know, to your point, you may not know or have all the skills for, for, you know, that particular role or whatever you're working on. But I mean, you've done some pretty wild things in your life. So there's some recipes there usually. Yeah, well, you, you know, as a person and you, you know, I'm going to flip to a book I just actually passed on to a friend yesterday. 
the book's called The Comfort Crisis. And it boils mm. down to how in society now versus 200 years ago, people were challenged with doing really hard things on the daily. Nothing yeah. was easy. You couldn't just go to a fridge and grab a piece of meat that's been chilled. You had to go and hunt and you had to go and like everything was hard. Nowadays, yeah. people can barely go from their car air conditioned car 20 feet to a grocery store and they start panting and huffing, you know, like not everyone, but you know, there's just statistically speaking a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm not going to paint that picture, but you know, like as a whole humans, like we're all pretty soft. Like even myself, you know, all these creature comforts that I have personally, it's, you know, it makes you soft. And this book talks about how good it is to go out and do something really, really, really hard that challenges your mind, your body, your soul. And afterwards, that experience, a crushing experience, you come back into life, everyday life, and you look at these problems where normally you would be like, oh my God, this is a huge problem. You now look Mm -hmm. at it like, hmm. I just hiked mountains for like 18 days with like 80 pounds on my pack, fighting off wild animals, trying to hunt. This problem is no big deal. And you have a different perspective on it. So I think that's where, you know, you do all these things that I've done in these challenges and then you flip the switch to, Hey, I got a new challenge. I know how this goes. I have the tools in my bag to be, to be able to deal with it and know that it's, it's all going to be all right. If I put 110% of my effort into anything, I know that it's going to succeed. I can have a shitty idea. And I know if I put my mind, body, and soul and my back into it, I know that it will succeed. Yeah. So that's so key. I mean, this, this, this links directly into the mental fitness work that that I do with individuals and teams. And I just call this experience stacking, right? Because we forget about all of those those project or projects or situations where when we started them, we felt terrified or there's, you know, they're scary. We didn't know what to do, but then, you know, we, we rocked them, we conquered them. Um, and it's just another one of those situations. If we kind of go back and bring them in, then, um, you know, at least we can start. And that's, that's the key. And yeah. I, I love your point. Like, I think, I think what we face or what we have right now in society, unfortunately, is like this, it's like this undercurrent, grade of stress all the time, like the unhealthy stress and, and hence all the disease out there and so forth. And, um, and we don't have the healthy stress of like, to your point, like putting yourself consciously yeah, in a, in a situation to, to, to grow and push and, and whatnot. Right. But we've somehow, we've just like, speaking about normal, we've just normalized being like soft. You said, yeah. Being soft and just, and, and looking for, for comfort and, the language I always use is like we're we're on autopilot, and and hence the you know for me like the the motivation behind questions and and everything around my book and the show is just questions allow us to pause and think and to, you know and come off the autopilot. So yeah, it's just so important. Yeah, for all humans, whether you're stay at home mom or a yeah. Navy SEALs recruit you know, doing these challenges and challenging your mind, body and soul is so key to your mental health and your physical health, to be honest, because it's all symbiotic. Totally, totally. Well, let's, I mean, here's a perfect example from your story. I mean, we can fast forward a little bit, but at one point, I forget the line, I can't remember what, uh, you know, what event caused this, but 
in, in the mountain, especially in the pro mountain biking world, there's no shortage of injuries. That's for sure. Um, was it North of Nightfall where you had the doctor and you guys were in the tent and he's like, he just wanted to yep. get a, a lay of the land. That was Dr. Clark. That was hilarious, but not funny, obviously at the same time. I said, okay, just for the, for everyone listening, basically he's trying to get a, an understanding of what he may be up against and just asked, you know, all the athletes, okay, well, what kind of injuries have you had? And it, it was just a laundry list <laughs> ding, ding, of ding, 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 yeah, ding. broken back yeah. a few times here, neck, this, it was just out of control. Um, and at one point in your career, I think you, you went for a scan and I wrote it down. The doctor came back out and said something like your, your scan is not normal. Like you can't, I think you had broken your back a couple of times or a few times at that point. I and now you had a, a pocket of fluid, right? Yep. On your spine. And, and that was... That was, I have a couple questions around that, but that was the moment that essentially uh, where you had to mentally retire from competition, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that okay. was, uh, that was. if you mind, if I elaborate on that. Yeah, please. Yeah, that was a pretty big moment. Uh, I had an injury. I broke some vertebrae. Three months later, I came back to my doctor in the States and I told him to give me a full body scan because that was my fourth break. I've had two micro... Um, um, micro discectomies in my lower back. So like I have, I have a lot of history in, in my, um, you know, back injuries. It's kind of like my Achilles heel, I, I call it, uh, for my career. Yeah. And I asked him to give me a scan, make sure we're all good. Cause I was planning on going back to training and getting ready for rampage in like four months. And he sat me in there and he said, okay, you got to sit down. I'm like, well, that's not good. Like why? And he's like, your career's over. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, I feel great. You know, I'm like ready to charge. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, like that last injury you had, it, like it, it was as close as it comes to breaking your neck. And, Oof. um, cause of that, there's a pocket of fluid within your spinal cord that, and your spinal cord, the fibers are, are so like, they're so tough it's not like fluid can go back and forth like a normal bruise in your arm or your leg. Yeah. So that fluid in there is going to stay and it normally doesn't ever go away and you can drain it in extreme cases, but it's so dangerous that like I'm one of the only doctors in the United States that can and will do it, but only in a life and death situation. So I said, okay, what do I do now? And he's like, well, you know, you really can't afford any falls you know, you can ride your bike, but you can't fall from 20, 30 feet anymore. Like, that's just not going to happen because if you do, you're like crazy liable to snap that spinal cord. Like it's now, yeah. say you had hundred percent strength and like pliability with, you know, being able to bend and whatnot. Now you have like 20%, like you have mm. 20% of the range of motion and the amount of impact that you can take before that snaps and then you're dead and it was uh it was a big tsn turning point um in my life because you know i actually looked at you know my dirt jump bikes and my downhill bikes you know i looked at them and i'm like man i'm never gonna get to to ride these ever again and it was like i was emotionally struggling i was lost for like five or six months like oh, i just yeah I couldn't wrap my head around. I'm like, man, it's over. Like, yeah, I can walk and I can hang out with my kid and like live a, a beautiful, healthy life. You know, I'm sure that's what most people are thinking. Like, yeah, I'm not paralyzed. Life isn't that bad. But I'm like, at the same time, I'm trying not to identify with my sport and, you know. Yeah, like, which is nearly impossible to do. It's fucking hard. Right. And like, you know, I've dug a lot 
in terms of internally and emotionally not trying not to identify with my sport and who I am. And that's why I giggled when you first asked me, who am I? Um, and you know, after a while I, I kind of started to wrap my head around it and I was like, okay, okay. And then I said to myself, I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to fucking beat these doctors once again, like time and time again in my like career, I've had doctors say, okay, you know, you're not going to ride in six weeks. It's absolutely impossible. You need to be 12 weeks until you're healthy. And then at six weeks I'm riding. Like for instance, one, one day this hand doctor, I broke two, like a boxer break in my hand. And he's like, you're nuts to think you're going to be riding in four weeks at rampage. And, and I was like, (laughs) well, for starters, watch me. And I think I was at like the three week mark with, um, I just got my cast off, off my hand. And he's like, okay, well, first of all, we got to do a test to see where your, your arm strength is. And, and on my good hand, I think I had like 170 or 180 foot pounds of, 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 uh, pressure that I could put with my right hand. And, and normally I think a normal person's like around hundred, 110. Obviously I squeeze brakes for, you know, a living. So I got <laughs> yeah, yeah. hand strength. So my good hand was 180. And then the hand that I just broke was at like 150, 160 at week three. And I'm, no I'm way. and I'm looking at the guy like squeezing in and I'm like 50 pounds over a normal, normal person's like strength and like not even wincing. I'm looking him right in the eye and he's like looking at the, the gauge. I'm like, yeah, drop the thing. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going to ride my bike today. Peace. <laughs> so when I had my neck injury, I like, I had a ton of respect for this doctor, but at the same time I was just like, Dr. Bray, I'm going to prove you wrong. And with my knowledge of health supplements and diet and exercise, and just my program, I, I was very confident that I was going to beat this. And I just started to like ride at the level that I was comfortable with. Like I used to say 30 plus foot drops. And, and I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do 10 foot drops because okay. I'm going to bring my level down here, which where I'm very, very comfortable riding and I'm, I'm very confident that I'm not going to crash. And what that's going to do is it's going to give me endorphins. I'm going to train my ass off. I'm going to eat crazy healthy. I'm going to supplement like crazy. And I'm going to fucking kick this thing in its ass. And I went back for a, I think it was like a, an eight month follow up, And he's like, okay, it hasn't grown. Cause you know, at first he was like, you know, need to make sure that the, the, the tumor wasn't cancer. Um, and it make sure that it was, you know, injury related. And we determined that it hasn't, hasn't grown. It's like stabilized. So we're like, okay, that's good. And then he's like, I'll see you in a year. Came back in a year and he's like, I don't know how you did it, but it's like 30% less from what it was. And yeah. I'm like, all right, that's, that's the news I wanted to hear. And he's like, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, it seems like you're like, whatever you're doing, it's working. And, you know, like, we're almost at the point where I can give you my blessing to like, start taking risks again. And I'm like, well, I'm good where I'm at with my career. And, you know, switching to more adventure kind of guy in terms of, because before I was trying to push the envelope of the sport. And now I've, I've wrapped my mind around, okay, that's not me anymore shifting to pushing the envelope of my personal adventures and, you know, you know, my limits of my body to do like, you know, crazy adventures and stuff. 
And then a year later, I came back and he's like, man, I don't know how you did it, but this thing's almost gone. You know, like you're so wild, like, right? You're at like 20% left of this, you know, little pocket. And it's clearly, you know, like record timeline, it's going to be gone very soon. And, and, uh, and to prove my point last spring, I actually was trail riding on a mellow trail and I didn't check the jumps that some kids had changed and I ended up snapping my neck. And oh. I ended up, it was, you know, all clean compression fractures. But if I still had that pocket of fluid, that would have snapped for sure. So that's just yeah. a testament to I healed it and I came back stronger from than before. So that's like a yeah. bit of an example. You probably didn't have to go to that level extreme to test your, no. <laughs> your hypothesis. No, and, and that, that wasn't uh, on purpose at all. It wasn't like, the plan. I was just chilling on a trail. I didn't even have knee pads on, for instance. You oh, know, like man. I was chilling, just riding a trail I've ridden a bunch of times and some kids changed yeah. it. And I was an idiot and not, didn't check the jumps. I just kind of, my ego got in the way and, you know, I thought, ah, I can handle anything, you know, it's just local mellow trails. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it happens, right? It's, yeah. uh, yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for elaborating on that. I mean, this is kind of where I was hoping we would go because I remember that moment in whether it was a video clip or a film or wherever it was, but I remember when, when you got essentially the news that you were out of the danger zone and I just, I found it so powerful that you were, that you had mentally done the work and moved on to, you know, whereas you would automatically, I think, assume, be like, okay, well, he's, he's done all the work. He's back in it. Like, let's go, you know, but you, you put in that work. So I, I do want to talk about that because you did mention those five months were, were hell. And I think those five months were probably pretty relatable to other people, you know, maybe not in the mountain biking world, but just when you do have an event that happened and it happened to me as well, where you're as much as we try not to do this, where your identity is wrapped up into something. And then in a moment's notice, it's, it's, it's over or it's gone. At least that's the story we tell ourselves. Right. So like for you, like what practically speaking, what were you doing? Like what, what did it look like during those five months for you? Well, those five months, like physically I was healthy. Yeah. Emotionally, very unhealthy. Um, you know, I could go take up cause like I said, at that time I, you know, I felt great. I was ready to start training. I was going to go right yeah, back into it. It's harder. It, it is hard. Right? You got a cast on your leg. You can see it and feel it. You have some yeah. sort of injury. And then like knowing that there's an injury inside of me, I can't feel, I can't see, but it limits my ability to, to take slams. It was definitely a lot harder to take and, and mentally wrap your head around. And for me, you know, like it, it was like, like losing a friend, you know, like mm. up to death, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a big piece of me that, that I lost and, and you know, yeah. I, I never really got back cause I'm not, you know, I never will be there ever again. Like, like, and when I talked about yeah. getting into that flow state, you know, like I'll never get there again. Like, and it's, it's sad. I've come to terms with it, but you know, and being able to mentally do the work to, to be okay with it, I think is really powerful. And, and, you know, I challenge people themselves to dig in and mentally do the work to overcome anything that is a loss in their life, whether it be their car or their girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, a loved one, you know, everyone in this world is 
surrounded by loss because that's life. Yeah. Like, yeah, we live, we die and totally come in and out of our lives and, and being able to do the work mentally to purge yourself of all of the attachment you have to whatever it is you're mourning the loss of is it's a tool and you have to practice if you've never had it before like for instance a good example is like someone that's never ever lost a friend or loved one a pet in their life and then all of a sudden they lose someone really close like it doesn't take a rocket science to understand that that's going to be really hard compared to someone that has had a real in-depth experience with um, loss of life and loss of friends throughout a young age and and having a healthy relationship with, you know, loss of life and loss of stuff, friends, things. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's important. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, you know, for, for those listening who may not know, I mean, you, unfortunately, just, you have lost, you know, some pretty, some pretty close dear friends in, in the sport and, and whatnot. And it's, uh, it happens, obviously, in, in, in something that's, you can say, risky uh, in terms of extreme sports. So I, I wonder, like, outside of, I, and I know you you do go to therapy when, when needed and, and so forth, but outside of therapy, like, what what has helped you? Like, are there, like, what are those little micro things that you do day in, day out that allow you to, you know, purge some of those attachments or process some of you know, just some of the emotional pain with, with any kind of loss. Well, I don't know if you've heard me tell the story, but I love telling it. So you may have heard it, but, um, I'll tell the, the listeners here. So my, when I, uh, when I lost Jordy, it's a good friend of mine. Um, not too long ago, a friend of mine mentioned a type of therapy called EDMR therapy. He said to me, he's like, you know what? You know, whenever we do a gnarly rescue, because he's in search and rescue, you know, twice a year, usually he goes and does some therapy because, you know, he goes in and recovers a body in the bottom of a canyon or, you know, something that's very emotional and close to home just to kind of as a, as a, uh, an oil change. So I said, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, you know, I'm down with therapy. I've always been down. It's a great tool to use. Um, so I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, uh, I'll go see one of the people in the area that, um, that does it. And when I was talking to this woman, Catherine, and, and giving my bio and my story when she was getting her whole, whole picture of who I am and, you know, so that she can figure out how to like uh, treat me, um, I said to her, you know, no matter what, I always know that I need to just go ride my bike when shit hits the fan. And she looked up at me and she said, ha, we're going to get back to that. But until mm. then, we're going to keep going. So what she meant by that is with EDMR therapy, what you're basically doing is you're bringing your emotions to the top of your mind, putting it right in front of your face to the point where you're bringing yourself back to that moment, that moment of Mm -hmm. tragedy. And you're focusing on whatever it is you're having troubles letting go of, whether it be, um, Hey, I made a bad decision. Like, Hey, I just don't want to, except that that person is not my life, this and that, whatever it is, you want to bring it right up to to the surface. Um, you know, and how you can also use this is like, say fear, fear of like a basketball player, you know, draining the three point shot and, you know, having a previous memory that they can't shake. It's, it's that moment, bringing it to the forefront 
And then once you're there, she goes, okay, hold on to that thought. And she takes an object and you take your eyes and you focus on the object, like back and forth, back and forth. And for her, she has just a pencil with the eraser on it. She's like, okay, focus on the eraser, back and forth for 30 seconds. And then she goes, okay, where'd your mind go? And a lot of time I'd be like, squirrel. <laughs> She's like, okay, come on back. <laughs> come on back. And I was like, okay, I'm here again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we dig in and like once we, she'd finally get me there and you know those emotions would start to come to the surface she's like okay good go with it she keeps going keep going keep going and then she every 30 seconds checks back in she's like where'd your mind go i went to here this and that and she's like brilliant okay keep going and she'd do that for about you know five to ten minutes and what that does is there's scientific proof that bringing your emotions and getting back to that emotional state similar to mm. where you were in that situation or um, whatever issue that you're struggling in life, there's evidence that bringing it to the forefront of your mind and focusing your eyes and going back and forth with your eyes physically grinds down your emotions. Oh, and, wow. And, and allows you to grind through them and process them. Okay. And I will attest to this tenfold because what she said, you know, after she explained this all to me, she's like, remember when I said I was going to come back to something? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I need to ride my bike. She's like, well, when you go out and you ride your bike, especially when it's right at the freaking onslaught on the uh, so soon, so close to a major event like that. The emotions are right in your forefront of your mind while you're riding your bike and your eyes are going back and forth scanning the trail. So you're doing therapy on your own riding your bike. And she was amazed and thrilled from when I said, I know that when, when shit hits the fan, I just need to go ride my bike because that makes me feel better. Yeah. She's like, yeah, yeah it makes sense because you're doing your own therapy out there. Cool that is so that? fascinating. That is super cool. I mean, because I, I like I before you you mentioned the like just the grinding kind of back and forth. Like I I get it makes sense to bring the makes sense to bring the emotion up so you're not like packing it down because obviously that you know comes out in some other way eventually, right? But yep. that that extra step of like the 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 eyes going back and forth. That's I'm gonna have to look into that. That's that's powerful stuff. Absolutely, and then. You know, like for me personally, like I just went through um, a separation and like a perfect storm for like my therapy was going out into Peru and doing an insanely hard trip for like five days straight of like 10,000 foot climbs, 10,000 foot descents, camping in the wilderness. Like every day was like an ass kicker. Yeah. So like for me, bike on the back, six hours, just step after step, high elevation, mm -hmm. struggling, like just knowing I had these tools in my toolbox and doing nothing but thinking about my current situation and grinding through my emotions was like, a, like an optimal like therapy to, you know, heal from. Yeah this loss and everyone yeah. can attest to losing, you know, someone in a relationship. So it's, yeah. everyone can coincide with me on that and just having those emotions and knowing that like normally before knowing the EDMR therapy and how it helps a lot of times, like most people, we would push it down. That thought would boil yeah. up 
be like, nope, I'm not going there. You know, I'm yeah. not letting it ruin my day. This is beautiful. I'm like out in the, you know, the Peruvian Andes and everything's great. I'm not letting it ruin my day. Now that I have these tools, I'm like, no, 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 let it come up. Let's, let's yeah. focus on that. Bikes on the back. I'm suffering, sweat dripping off the face. I'm dying. I can barely breathe. And I got five more hours to go of this. And this thought comes up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to grind through that. Now's this. the time. I'm not, not just going to grind through freaking putting one fit, foot after the other because it's really damn hard. I'm also going to grind through this in my mind. And I came out of that like in a really good place compared to where I, how I was sure. when I came into it. Well, it's, you brought this up earlier. It's like putting, you know, it, it's, it's that whole concept of, of how we've become soft and, and, you know, doing those intentional, hard, stressful things essentially. Right. Which is, which is what you're doing physically and, and mentally in those situations. What's your, what are your, like your daily routines look like or any consistent uh, factors that have been helpful for your mind and, and also your physical health. I mean, I know you've at least in the past had a pretty dialed in uh, morning flow of a smoothie and whatnot. And uh, I, I know listeners would be really pissed if I didn't ask about some of the things that helped actually you health wise in terms of, you know, uh, basically dissolving that fluid. Is there anything that's like consistent though now that you, you, you keep up with? Yeah. Like supplements, um, you know, Friends that don't really understand supplements, you know, they look at me when I have a full handful of, you know, supplements, they look at me like I'm crackhead and yeah. then one scoop, gunk, one gulp of water and I, I down it just because I take so much and they don't really get the fact that all my supplements come from plants and it's just <laughs> like, you know, no different than taking a spoonful of like ultra greens and putting it in. It's just a bunch of pills, you know, capsules. Yeah. So like in terms of getting particular about what I really think makes a big difference in a day-to-day health regime, um, yeah. one underlooked thing is, first of all, having a supplement company that actually builds it from plants, not in a laboratory. And even like Olympic athletes, you know, I look at their bag and I'm like, you know, looking at their ingredients, I'm just like, <laughs> years old like <laughs> yeah. this is more better than a centrum multivitamin like what do you do <laughs> you yourself right <laughs> yeah so it's like get educated on on what your supplements that you are taking because i guarantee you a lot of people think that they're taking the right stuff and if it doesn't come from plants it's not the right stuff you can't mess with nature um, yeah and then at the end of the day, um, what's your brand of choice? I mean, this is obviously not a sponsorship plug or anything like that, but I mean, just what, what works for you? Uh, it is a sponsorship plug, but at the same time, if they, didn't give, <laughs> if they didn't give me free stuff, I would still buy from them. Um, there's a okay. Canadian company called the Vena originals where like, okay. they don't even touch any of their stuff with heat. Like it's, that's how strict oh, wow. they are. No chemicals, just plants, you know, it's super clean um, and enzymes. Enzymes are a very underlooked element to like health thriving. And you know, for me, like healing and injury, I eat them like cereal. You know, like yeah. the pills, like and the the label says two per day, twice a day, and that's because the owners is forced to say that on the labeling. Yeah, because and they're and, and they can't say health product. 
can just say supplement. And meanwhile, people in the know like us, they're like, no, this will actually save your life. This will heal you from lupus. This will heal uncurable diseases if you supplement in large doses, you know, like all the yeah. technology and, and the data and research on, you know, curing cancers and stuff. You know, it's this notion of like one little pill is like the max you can take. If it's from plants, your body's going to deal with it. It's going to store what it needs for later. And if it doesn't yeah. need any, anything and it can't use it, it'll freaking excrete it. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, and, and then, you know, a good healthy protein is key. And then like a D complex. And then, you know, for me and my smoothies, um, I always do a big heaping scoop of spirulina and chlorella. And if I got it, uh, blue green algae, that's okay. another good one. Um, and then like, you know, I, I run out time and time again, but I always try to do, um, uh, phytoplankton in a liquid. Okay. You know, phytoplankton. And do you think like, is that, did you adjust your, your supplement routine for the specific healing in your, in your neck? Or is this kind of like the staple? I try to keep like an, a consistent baseline yeah. uh, going, you know, like if I miss a day, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I won't sure. double up, but I'll, I'll make sure I, I get back into it, you know, cause your body has a good uh, ability to, you know, maintain and, and, and reserve the, uh, certain things and for later, you know, like body's yeah. good for that. Um, but then at the same time for injury, I like, I go times 10, two or three times okay. a day. And that's how I have stumped doctors time and time again. Yeah. Um, I've heard you say you feel, you, you feel like you heal faster in your forties than when you were in your twenties. Like, totally. had you known this stuff, right? Like it would have been oh like, almost like, Oh shit, <laughs> I would have been back out. <laughs> yeah. I would have just been an absolute fucking force to be reckoned with at 20. Cause you know, you can yeah. hit the deck and keep on running. Love it. Well, last question for you, brother. I mean, what, what makes you smile each day? What makes me smile each day? Well, lots to smile about. If you got breath in your lungs, it's the main thing, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you can't take life for granted. You know, you can always look around and, and look around you and find negative things in your life that you wish that you could change. But, and you know, you've heard it before. You got to focus on the things that are, um, that are, that you have and the things that are positive in your life and, and focus on that. Yeah. Love it. Well, man, I mean, there's, we can definitely do a part two if you ever want to come back. I mean, there was a whole section around fear and confidence that I wanted to tap oh, yeah. into your brain, right? I mean, just there's so many, so many topics when, you know, you see a buddy go down hard and then you've got to, you know, drop in, you've just been dropped uh, off in a helicopter on the peak of a mountain. They're filming. Like I can only imagine the pressure of, of that for, you know, even if someone doesn't go down, but especially someone goes down, you've got to get yourself back in, you know, mental space of just, you know, doing it right. Like, so there's, I, I would love to eventually sit down and, and talk about that. And, and I guess go, go real specific on the topic, because I think there's a lot, you know, again, like we're, we're not all in those situations, but we are often in, yeah, it's the emotions of it that, that we can relate across different industries and whatnot and Absolutely. use cases. So, but for now, I'll, I'll put uh, I'll put a cap on this one, and and you know, just uh, of course, thank you for your time for the, for for this interview. But uh, you know, just a bigger or higher thank you, and and it's just you doing you and going out there and following what lights you up 
and doing with passion. And I think everyone, myself included, can feel you know, the energy that you put out in this world. And it's, it's, it's one of positivity and confidence. And, you know, you're, ironically, you pioneered a lot of stuff in mountain biking, but I mean, you're, you're teaching a lot to uh, many people that you probably don't even realize, you know, like us, like uh, weekend warriors on a bike that watch these vids and get all excited and motivated and, and, and see your story uh, right up to the people that are coming up in the sport, right? And kind of passing the torch on in, in some of these respects. So, so thank you. Thank you for, for that service in this world as well. And I'm excited to see what comes next. Sounds good, bud. Appreciate uh, you taking the time and uh, sitting down and doing the interview with me. It's been fun. Appreciate it. 